six grandchildren, and I'm crazy about them. And I speak to them every single day. Not a joke. Not a joke, but it is a lie. It is a great big fat lie. He has seven grandchildren. You know this story, the grandchild, Navy, four years old, unacknowledged by the president of the United States. That's his granddaughter. Hunter had a liaison with uh, this woman about four years ago. He totally denied it. She had to bring him to court and a paternity test, a DNA test, established that Hunter was the father. Now, for the past four years, there's been no acknowledgement, no public acknowledgement from Hunter, from, from the president of the United States about this girl's existence. It finally changed this afternoon on a Friday afternoon. They still want to keep it quiet. But the president did put out a statement. This is from himself, okay? Our son Hunter and Navy's mother, London, are working together to foster a relationship. That, what kind of relationship, is in the best interests of their daughter, preserving her privacy as much as possible going forward. And remember, this is not political. This is not a political issue. It's a family matter. Jill and I only want what is best for all our grandchildren, including Navy. She's four years old. It's been known for at least three years and three months that it was Biden blood in that girl, and this is the first time that he's acknowledging it. You know, Joe, I've been talking about it for two years. I mean, I'm just astonished that this was happening and that Hunter was in denial, didn't want to pay child support, and that Joe Biden could go in front of the national media every single day and not get a question about it. Not even from the back row. Hey, Joe, what about the grandkid? Nothing, nothing. That's how meek our media are. They call it the Pravda media. They're owned by the state. Well, one of the state-run media outlets, the New York Times, changed its tune about a month ago. Maureen Dowd wrote a story. It's seven grandkids Mr. Biden, that story actually quoted Maureen Dowd's sister, who's just like, this makes no sense. I think your name was Peggy. And it does make no sense. And the fact that the whole country wasn't talking about it, that it was kept under wraps, was insane. A week prior to that, the New York Times, again, the preferred organ of the state, wrote this story, Hunter Biden's daughter and a tale of two families. Uh, then people said, OK, the New York Times is talking about it. It's OK for us to talk about it a little bit. And they did for a couple of days, barely, and then it goes away. Poof. This is a family that's bizarre, the Biden family, the president of the United States. You got money, you got power, you got status, you got a plane. You can take care of a four-year-old girl in Arkansas. But these people are weird, okay? You know, Hunter went out with his sister-in-law, right? Yeah. Bo, his beloved brother, dies. Bo was married to the woman in the bikini, who then is with Hunter. Now, this, this kind of sordid story would possibly cause a little bit of strife in most families. Wouldn't you agree? Joe Biden said it made him happy. When this story broke, that they were actually, you know, together hooking up, Joe and Jill said, we are lucky that Hunter and Haley found each other as they were putting their lives together again after such sadness. They have mine and Jill's full and complete support, and we are happy for them. There was no comment about how President Biden and Jill Biden felt about Hunter's then wife, Kathleen Buell. How did they feel about her and what she was going through? Anyway, 
the daughter, I'm sorry, the granddaughter, Navy, down there in Arkansas, uh, the president of the United States is now acknowledging her. But again, it took the New York Times, it took pressure, it took needling. Uh, Maureen Dowd's column, I find unconscionable is that you refuse to admit or accept the fact that there is a beautiful little four-year-old girl living in Arkansas by the name of Navy Joan, who is your seventh grandchild. Yeah, and it took the New York Times to get the President of the United States to wake up and take responsibility. Remember, this is Mr. Empathy. This is the guy, right? The, the consoler-in-chief. He knows your pain, especially absenteeism, right? Somebody who's missing either through death or something else. Right, Joe? I know the pain that so many of you are experiencing. Experiencing right now. Starting by sitting down for breakfast this morning and staring at an empty chair around the kitchen table where a loved one used to sit, laugh, talk about how you love one another. I know the frustration. Well, at least those people knew each other at one point. This four-year-old girl has never met her grandfather, has never met her father. Her name is Navy. Finally, acknowledged. What about their frustration, hmm? The most powerful man in the world who uh, has a lot of money, I mean a lot of money, had to be bullied into doing the right thing. Then again, maybe, maybe Navy was better off without the acknowledgement. Seriously, this is a crazy family, and maybe it would have been better if there was, you know, no contact whatsoever. I don't know. I'll leave it up to them, but really bad, don't you think? But it's typical of the Bidens. What's next? A horrible beating, watch this, of a cab driver in New York City in Midtown Manhattan this week. Five people are beating this guy, kicking his head, he suffered very serious injuries. He's in the hospital. You can see it again in slow motion. It's tough to watch. Uh, the cab driver is 60 years old. Uh, the people who beat him up, two of them were caught, arrested, detained for a matter of hours, and issued, get this, desk appearance tickets. They were in custody for about two hours, and now they're back on the streets, okay? No bail, nothing, nothing. They are free to do this again. The victim, his name is uh, Mr. Boot, Abzul Boot, and he is 60 years old from Inwood, New York. That's Upper Manhattan, and he is suffering right now, and nobody seems to care about this. The video is here and there, and you can find it on Twitter if you look, but we're not having a, a national conversation, and I wonder why that is. I wonder if the assailants, who in this case happen to be black, what would have happened if they happened to have been white? What would the reaction have been? What would it be right now? I think it would be something like this. Here's a suspect, okay? He's a 21-year-old white man. This 21-year-old white male mass murderer. The suspect is believed to be 18 to 20, a white male. Police identified the alleged shooter as a 15-year-old white male. The suspect in custody is white. Police say a 28-year-old white male carrying two handguns crashed a stolen truck into a building. It's humanizing the shooter once again. Yeah, and well. can I point out that the shooter is a white man who is alive after they knew that he had killed eight people. Yeah, Gail thought they should have just come in guns blazing because they already knew he was guilty. Um, 
Obviously, there's a way to talk about white people and a way to talk about black people, and they're shifting standards, and they are so weird, and it's so anti-American, it is so strange. People are people. You see that beatdown, right? I mean, you cannot talk about the, the race of the suspects, and was there possibly a racial component here? Hmm? I've heard it. I believe he's from the Middle East. Was that possibly a factor? Was this a hate crime? Where is that conversation? It's fascinating. It's sad that America is having a very silly conversation about race to avoid having a very serious and uncomfortable conversation about race. And possibly the stupidest component of this whole thing is the Karen craze. How dare a woman, if she's white, especially with blonde hair, tell somebody who's a stranger, do you live here? Uh, do you live in my building? That's what this woman did. It was a totally reasonable <laughs> inquiry. And guess what? Not only did she go viral on the Internet, she made it to World News Tonight. The confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. That just might be the ultimate moment in fake news. Wow, huh? What gets attention in this country? What doesn't? A man savagely beaten doing his job by a mob of five people? Or a woman asking somebody, hey, do you live in this building? I've never seen you before. Reasonable question, don't you think? Let's go to San Francisco next. Uh, a woman noticed somebody putting graffiti on their own house. That's a little bit weird. She had a question. It's not, this is not the way to do it. Okay. It's private property. But if, it, if I did live here and it was my property, this would be absolutely fine. Okay. If it, and you don't know if I live here or if this actually, is my property. We actually do know. That's why we're asking. Oh, really? Because you All right. Here, so right? instead of explaining himself, saying, yeah, I live here and I'm putting graffiti on my own house, he played a game with them and got them both fired from their jobs. Yeah, you can't be a white woman and say just about anything these days. How about that poor lady who was basically threatened and really harassed in Central Park? There is an African-American man I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. I'm sorry, I can't hear you that. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. All right, so it took about three days for her employer to fire her, for her to be internationally mocked, for President Obama to weigh in for some reason. Nobody bothered to look at the guy's Facebook page where he admitted to, yeah, threatening uh, the dog and saying creepy things to her. Yes, it's all there. I looked it up. The New York Times didn't. They were too busy canceling this woman. The guy, oh, by the way... Uh, the bird lover who didn't like that the dog wasn't on a leash, he got a TV show. He got a TV show. The woman is canceled. He gets a TV show on National Geographic as a result of all this stuff. I got one more, I hate to use the word, Karen situation. The Karen is, a, is so bad and it's kind of uh, become a thing, but it shouldn't. Watch this. Please help me. Please help me. All right, so uh, <laughs> this was no big deal. They had an argument about a bike. Um, nobody mentioned race. The woman didn't mention race. The kids didn't mention race. But what did the media mention? Race. The conference 
confrontation grew quickly between the white hospital employee and young black men just getting ready for a bike ride. The white woman here is seen attempting to steal a city bike from a young black man claiming she was threatened and was calling for help. No evidence that she was trying to steal that bike. They didn't mention that she's pregnant. Oh, by the way, aren't you supposed to stand up and let pregnant women kind of have the right of way? Yeah, well, the New York Times, uh, they jump on these uh, woke bandwagons all the time. But finally, they did something right. Don't call her Karen. And they're warning that the choice for a white woman is stark, either not to have any complaints or to shut up about those that you do. This is a far cry from the lessons of the women's movement, the Me Too movement, and a basic sense of justice. That woman, Ms. Comrie, was put on leave by her employer, became international news. And this is, they're trying to get white women to shut up and also, I believe, to vote in a certain way. One day they'll be rewarded because, you know, a lot of them blamed for voting for Trump in 2016. And they did. Next, please. One more thing to say about this horrible beating. Barack Obama may have contributed to it. You know, I ride cabs fairly often because I don't like to take the subway anymore because it's too dangerous down there. Cab drivers are from all over the world, all over the planet. They are amazing people. It's a very hard job. Incidentally, in New York at least, it's very rare. I mean, exceedingly rare that the driver will be a native-born uh, American. They'll be Americans, but they'll have been born somewhere else, and often they're people of color. Makes no difference, really. But Barack Obama, with a chip on his shoulder, listen to him play the race card against these cab drivers. Senator Obama, how do you address those who say you're not authentically black enough? <laughs> hey, well, not my question. Jordan's question. You know, uh, when I'm catching a cab in Manhattan uh, in the past, uh, I think uh, I, I've given my credentials. You know, that kind of rhetoric, that may have led to that guy getting beat up. Who knows? He owes all of these people an apology because that myth persists to this day. And it's a lie. Thank you, Mr. President. We'll be right back. Information. Truth is power, is freedom, is money, is health, is Newsmax. Millions watch it, so can you. Newsmax is real news for real people. Hi, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your daily news bulletin of Newsmax's top headlines, along with commentary from our hosts and experts. You can learn more about all of the free podcasts, including Newsmax Daily, Rob Carson, and Jerry Callahan at Newsmax.com slash listen. All right. Now, <laughs> if you know anything about this law, it probably applies to Hunter. There he is on Air Force Two. Was he doing America's bidding as he went over there and had those meetings with the 
the Chinese, or is he doing China's uh, bidding? Yeah, his dad dropped by that meeting as well in the hotel in Beijing. How much money has flowed to the Biden so far? According to the House Oversight Committee, $3 million. Uh, but Hunter, so far, just charged with those two misdemeanor tax violations. Farah is a, is a far more serious deal. Working with the Chinese uh, in certain capacities when it's illegal, that is a very big deal. And this hero cop is being accused and actually convicted of working illegally with the Chinese. I believe, and a lot of people believe, that Michael McMahon has been totally screwed over by the system. He's a former New York City police officer, a sergeant, and then he did what a lot of former police officers do. He went into uh, private investigative work, and he was brought in to do a very standard private investigation of a, uh, of a businessman. And all of a sudden, the FBI busts in and says, hey, you've been working with China all along. Uh, we are joined now by Michael McMahon, the former NYPD sergeant convicted of acting as a Chinese agent, and Martha Byrne, his wife. You may re recognize her from As the World Turns so many years ago, or not too many years ago, actually. Welcome to you, Bell. I'm sorry you're going through this. How are you guys Thank doing? You. Doing okay, doing okay. Just still, still in shock over the whole ordeal. Um, I would never work for a foreign country, foreign agent, uh, acting as a foreign agent. <clears throat> if I had known I was, if I was, I would have notified the FBI, the local police. Uh, it's completely uh, a miscarriage of justice what they did to me and my family. <clears throat> I was I was hired to locate a guy, an individual from China who stole millions millions of dollars. Uh, he was living in New Jersey. Uh, they approached me. They said, "Hey, listen, can you find him? Uh, <clears throat> see where he's living. See if there's any assets." So I, along with two other NYPD detectives, retired, uh, did surveillance, did some background checks, typical PI work. Uh, hired by an American company. Hired by an American company out of Queens, a translation company. And there was nothing out of the ordinary. It was a case that I've done similar cases, you know, hundreds of times before. And, you know, four years later, FBI came to my door and said, uh, you know, you're under arrest for FAR. And I was like, what is FARA? What are you talking about? You know, foreign foreign government? What are you, what are you talking about? Right. I was complete shock. Who approached no you? No idea. Again, American company. This is a translation company based, I believe, in New Jersey. You go to surveil the guy. In which, Queens. In Queens. Okay. So it's standard work. You're uh, conducting surveillance. You, you actually said you gave a heads up to the FBI and the local police that you were doing what you were doing. That's standard? Well, I notified the local police each and every time I did surveillance in their towns. So I did surveillance on five occasions. I notified the local police each and every time, uh, the five times. I told them who I was, my plate number, my cell phone number, my partner that day, his cell phone, his plate number. So we weren't trying to hide anything. We were giving the local police a heads up. Hey, listen, we're doing surveillance. You know, we're armed, retired detectives, we're doing surveillance. He also told two federal agents at the time, this is 2016, remember, this is a long time ago, and he spoke to two federal agents active at the time about the case, and they had no red flags about it. It was a civil matter. There was nothing criminal about it. My husband was never asked to do anything illegal because he knows the difference between something that's legal and illegal, being a cop. And obviously his whole history is, is pristine and 75 medals of honor and the NYPD and his entire career is as incredible. I mean, he's done so much for this country and his his integrity and his his heroism and this is how the government treats him 
I mean, they open a criminal investigation on him, but they don't bring him in and talk to him. I mean, he was found not guilty on count one, which was a big deal. That was like the, the crux of the case, which was they couldn't prove that he was he was in a conspiracy with the foreign government. That's count one. He was found not guilty of that. So they start with count one. You think, OK, great. And then they went guilty for Farah, guilty for stalking, which is insane. You yeah. know, yeah. surveillance is not. Stalking, I mean, it's totally legal. So it's 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 crazy. Let me yeah, um, finding me guilty of stalking, Greg. You know, puts the whole PI business in jeopardy. Right. We, we I mean, legal. That's surveillance. That's you know? yeah. If you walk out on your sidewalk, if somebody wants to take your picture, that can happen. Uh, I want to play uh, Joe Biden uh, recent comments. Uh, he makes them all the time about how fond he is of China. Go ahead. China is a great nation. And we should hope for the continued expansion. He said like things like that hundreds and hundreds of times from the federal government. We do get at times conflicting signals about all of this. But do you think you've been swept up into something broader, something deeper? You know, there has been a lot of work between Democrat administrations. This initially went down under a Democrat president, Obama and uh, What's happening overseas? Do you see anything bigger? What, why is this happening to you? Is there a tie-in to Washington? Well, I think that this is, if this is political, it's not us. This is China. If this were any other country, we would not be sitting here having this conversation right now. The fact that the FBI spoke to Chinese agents over five members of law enforcement connected to this case since 2016-17, but they spoke to Chinese agents, that's a huge question that I have. That choice that the FBI made to speak to people involved in this case that had or had nefarious purposes, don't get me wrong, there were people that were doing things that were not right, but Mike's lane of this case was a civil matter. He was never asked to do anything illegal. So whatever those guys were doing on the side, the FBI was well aware, yeah. but we weren't protected. We, our family wasn't warned. We, we, um, we were sitting ducks. I, I'm so sorry right. you're going, I'm so sorry you're going through this. How can people find out more and possibly help you if they'd like to? Thank you so much. Um, if you go to the pipehitterfoundation.org, that's Eddie Gallagher's foundation, pipehitterfoundation.org, and who we support. If you go to Michael McMahon and help us, we're fighting for every American. If they can take legal work that he did and turn it criminal, nobody is safe. And we have to fight back and not allow this to continue. Because what I saw in that courtroom was was horrifying what they did to my husband on a day-to-day -day basis, trying to make him look like an unlawful person, yeah. this hero. We, we can't allow this to happen. That's why we're fighting for everybody. So please support us. And we are so grateful for the uh, opportunity to talk to you Thank and for all the support from our friends and family. Thank and, you. And our fans. Of, uh, Good luck. Soap opera fans are great, too. I Thank got, you. Thanks, Martha, it's a, it's a pleasure. Stay in touch. we got to run. Michael McMahon and Martha Byrne. Thank right. you. And we'll be right back. Thank you. You know, everybody's reporting the same stories, the same spin. You turn the channel, it's always the same. But not us, we're different. We report the real news, no spin, just the facts. Turn to us and you won't turn back. Tune in to Rob Schmidt tonight on Newsmax. Okay, I'm not saying she's drunk. I'm also not saying she's popping too many pills. I'm not saying those things. I'm not. But. The nature of democracy is, is it's, there, there are two sides to it in terms of the nature of it. There's a duality. On the one hand, when democracy is intact, it is incredibly strong. 
in terms of the strength it bestows on the individuals in terms of their rights and their freedoms incredibly strong in terms of what it does for its people on the other hand it's very fragile our democracy will only be as intact as our willingness to fight for it and so fight we must and fight we will all right, there's something really off here. Uh, but then again, I might like this version of Kamala better than the serious version of Kamala. Take a look. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 2021. Uh, Pearl Harbor and the Horns guy running around the Capitol. They're on the same level. Um, she belongs in an asylum. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is insane. And it's also, I hate to say, yeah, it is kind of dangerous, right, to talk about democracy hanging on by a thread. Because the more you talk like that, it's almost like you want it to fail. One of my favorite interactions was with the now um, past uh, chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. She came over for breakfast. She asked me about voting, and she knew what was going on here. And this is not a, a subject that was unique to my conversation with her, by the way, in terms of world leaders. Because people around the world watch what we do as America, because we have held ourselves out to be a model of the efficacy, of the, 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 the ability of a democracy to coexist with an economic strength and power. We have been a role model saying you can see this and aspire to this and reject autocracies mm -hmm. and autocratic leadership. And right now we're about to take ourselves off the map as a role model. If we let, if we let people destroy one of the most important pillars of a democracy, which is free and fair elections. You're Voter ID. Voter ID. That's uh, that's what the existential threat is. You know, Angela Merkel, the former chancellor of Germany, I think she was playing a game with Kamala and a lot of our former allies, allies, whatever, are playing this game with us. Head games because our leaders are stupid. What do you think the procedures are to vote in Germany? You need ID. Voters receive electoral notification in the mail at the polling station. You must provide your name, ID. And that electoral notification that they sent you in the mail. Uh, German public television put something together. Three or four weeks before the elections, she receives a letter, a so-called Wahlbenachrichtigung, inviting her to vote at a school nearby. The date and time, as well as the address of where she can vote, are indicated here. With this Wahlbenachrichtigung, she also has the option to apply to vote via regular mail. When Sion arrives at the school, she shows her Wahlbenachrichtigung. An election worker checks her ID and indicates which booth she may vote in. ID! They do it in Germany! She's like, Kamala, what's your problem? No voter ID? How do you people do this? Wow, that's something, isn't that? Hey, you know who I hope is First Lady again? Melania! Just as you are fighting for your families, my husband, our family, and the people in this administration are here fighting for you. 
no matter the amount of negative or false media headlines or attacks from the other side, Donald Trump has not and will not lose focus on you. He loves this country, and he knows how to get things done. I agree. That was the Republican National Convention at the White House. What a special night, a special speech. And I think Melania is a, was a special first lady and can be so again. Uh, the New York Times wrote a kind of a weirdo story trying to portray her negatively, that she's not campaigning with her husband. Her absence is a striking difference from the start of the first Trump campaign. When Mrs. Trump, wearing a white strapless dress, descended the golden escalator in front of her husband at his campaign kickoff at Trump Tower, implying that she is nowhere to be seen this time around. Well, she was there uh, at Trump Tower when the campaign launched in 2015. There she is in front of Donald Trump. I was there. I was. Who is that? Yeah, it was Melania Trump. Uh, what happened when President Trump declared for 2024, which he did in November? There she is <laughs> right next to him. You see how they imply that she's nowhere. She's doing the same thing that she did last time, but they're saying that it's very different this time. It is unfair, but that's what you get from the fake news. Occasionally there's something good, but usually it's rotten. And we'll be right back. Look, the story's not about me. The story's not about someone else. It's about you. At The Balance, I remember why I'm here. The more we all know, the better we'll all be. Don't miss Eric Bowling, The Balance, tonight on Newsmax. Chris Rufo, everybody, the writer, filmmaker, activist, thinker, defender of children, parents, fighter of the woke mob. He has totally dominated the national conversation for the past year, maybe more. And this new book is probably going to make the left even madder at him. It's called America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Chris Rufo, congratulations on the book. Thank you for all your work. And welcome to Newsmax. How are you? I'm doing very well. Great to be with you. So, do they really conquer everything? Absolutely. And you have to read the subtitle of the book in light of the book's title. Of course, they haven't uh, conquered the CEO suites of our Fortune 100 companies, but they've conquered the, these companies and schools and universities in a cultural sense, meaning that they dominate uh, the universities, the K-12 schools as far as curriculum. And even within our companies, they have the DEI departments, HR, uh, you know, as we've seen with Bud Light, some of the marketing department as well. And so they've successfully waged a cultural revolution and established a foothold in all of our institutions uh, and, and really have used that foothold to drive the ideological debate uh, for quite some time. What can we do? I mean, you know, we're piping off on social media. We talk about it. We write you write the books and uh, you're doing a lot more than that, actually. I mean, you're 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 in the trenches. You're changing things. You are. Uh, pushing back against these school boards, but people who don't do this kind of thing full-time, are there any options? Yeah, you have to find uh, people and organizations to support and come band together and assert power, but ultimately, what I think the most important part of this fight is the, is the application of democratic political power. Uh, conservatives have the legislatures and the governor's mansions in many, many states. Uh, they could be taking these institutions to task, reconquering them, reforming them, reorienting them towards conservative values. And so, in my mind, the, the key mechanism of leverage here is the democratic process, and the challenge is to get even just red state legislators and governors 
on board to fight the culture war in a way that's intelligent, substantive, and leads to long-term changes, um, and, and, and in a sense, gets the woke out of our institutions, as far as public institutions, and brings in better ideas and better people uh, to really retake these uh, places and manage them in a better manner. Chris Rufo, you drive the left crazy, and uh, it delights me. We have, uh, we have some highlights. They talk about you a lot. Uh, let's take a quick look. This is Christopher Rufo. Christopher Rufo is also likely the reason your conservative uncle wouldn't stop talking about critical race theory, or CRT, at Thanksgiving last year. You admit it yourself that you've taken all of these sort of wokeness moments, corporate wokeness, uh, the corporate sort of woke money, woke capital, the things that annoy conservatives, and you've stuffed it all into the name critical race theory. It's really like, it's, it's like Christopher Rufo theory. We don't want to accept who we are. What wait, we've wait, wait, done, wait, wait, wait. this sort of argument is happening so, uh, right now. And Chris, I'm sorry we didn't show the part where you demolished Joy Reid in that debate, but you really do fire them up. What is it about your argument that, that threatens them so much? Well, it's actually this really interesting combination. I know their arguments better than they do. I know their language better than they do. And so I'm able to get around some of their rhetorical defenses, and I can just hammer them day after day after day. Um, I have a, a, a command of language, uh, the kind of verbal skills that are required to do battle with the left. Um, and, uh, and I think that I love the fight. I get in there. I never say no to an interview. I never say no to a debate. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't win every round. But I think uh, when the record uh, comes out and, and really shows is that more often than not, I'm landing these blows and pushing uh, the narrative and pushing the principles that I have and you and I share um, into their camp, into their territory. Um, and it, it drives them mad, but I think the real reason they're mad is because uh, when we go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, they tend to lose. The book, America's Cultural Revolution, uh, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything, came out July 18th. It's available everywhere. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your journey? I mean, where you grew up and, and how, you, uh, how you became a conservative? Were you always conservative? Uh, you know, sometimes the best conservatives went through a liberal streak, a liberal phase. Tell us a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's absolutely true. In my case, I started on the, the far left. I come from a family, actually, of, of, of com European communists. Uh, and so I've had this political journey over the last 10 years uh, toward the political right, and I think that's really why I'm so effective. And what I've tried to do with this book, which debuted as a number one bestseller on Amazon, it hit the New York Times bestseller list uh, uh, this week, um, is really show the inner history of the radical left, take apart their ideology to teach readers how it works, and then demonstrate through the historical record and, and deep archival research exactly how these ideas gained power in our institutions. And so. If you're the kind of person that was bewildered during that summer of 2020, the George Floyd riots, uh, suddenly seeing all of our institutions having been captured by critical race theory and other radical left ideologies, um, this book explains exactly where that comes from, exactly how it happens, and of course, exactly how to fight back. Uh, I know you've been doing some work in Florida on that new college or the revamping of the college with Ron DeSantis. Have you endorsed anybody? I have. I've, I've endorsed Governor DeSantis. And uh, look, uh, opinions differ in the conservative movement. I, of course, will, will support uh, whichever candidate makes it through the primary. 
Uh, but I've observed Governor DeSantis up close. Uh, he is a tremendous intellect. He's a tremendous manager, a tremendous leader. He knows what it takes to make permanent institutional changes. He knows how the bureaucracy works. He knows how to defeat the bureaucracy at its own game. I've seen him turn these institutions around in Florida. Uh, and I think that he has the competence, the self-discipline, and, the, and the, the grit that it will take uh, to tame the behemoth in Washington, D.C. Um, and that's for, for that reason he has my support. What is your ultimate... Um job, something that you would like to do? Could you see yourself as Secretary of Education? Could you see yourself as a member of Congress? Is, have you ever thought about public service yourself? Uh, yeah, of course. I, that, that has been floated around. And, and of course, it's something I, I would consider. And, you know, I, I would love for the next Secretary of Education, whoever that might be, uh, to wind down the Department of Education. I think that's the greatest <laughs> service that we could do. Uh, but in the absence of that, there's some serious reforms that could happen. And look, Anyone who gets into the next administration is going to have to know how to fight, how to take the blows, um, and how to ultimately prevail over these institutions. Uh, because if we want to have a great country uh, and protect the average family that is feeling besieged by these ideologies, um, we're going to have to have fighters in there and fighters that know how to get the job done. Chris Rufo, thank you for coming. Uh, the book, again, America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. To be continued, we'll be right back. Our veterans, they did so much for us. Are we taking care of them? You heard about the problems at the VA. Uh, things got a lot better under Trump. Uh, but besides all that, if you know a veteran, they should really get this book, Veterans Benefits for You. Get What You Deserve by Dr. Paul R. Lawrence, um, a veteran of the Trump administration. He was undersecretary for benefits in the Department of Veterans Affairs from 2018 to 2021. He's also a veteran of the United States Army, got out at the rank of captain. Uh, Dr. Paul Lawrence, welcome to Newsmax. Congratulations on the book. Hey, thank you, Greg, and thank you for your service. It was a piece of cake, and I loved it. <laughs> I really have it. Uh, look, real quick, uh, well, tell us. What kind of benefits are out there that maybe the veterans don't realize? Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, don't forget GI Bill education benefit, serve honorably, go to college for free, home loan guarantee, the ability to purchase a home with no money down, and even compensation if you've been hurt in service. So, for example, pilots sometimes lose their hearing or hurt their back, get a tax-free monthly payment to help you go about your life and also deal with uh, expenses. All right, excellent. Now, Politically, there are people talking about maybe, maybe, maybe we should not let these guys retire at 20 years. You know, they can retire 20 years with a pension if they're active duty. And they're saying, oh, that's maybe a vestige from the Civil War. Maybe we should update this. Uh, are they is that in jeopardy? Well, I know that people are always considering the costs of our military, and so that's certainly something to think about. I would think they'd be well advised to consider, you know, the age requirement for what it means to be in the military. It is a young person's game, as we know. And so at some point, you know, they have to think about that and less the money. All right. Um, let's see. Overall, the Veterans Administration, you're a veteran of that Veterans Administration. Are they coming around? I mean, we heard so many problems. I know things did get better under Trump. Where are we now? Well, you're absolutely right. Things got better under President Trump. This team has let it slide back. Uh, wait times to get appointments for your health care are longer. Times to get your benefits are longer. The team is led by many non-veterans. It's really taken a step back. 
I'd like to put your book up again, uh, Veterans Benefits for You, Get What You Deserve. Uh, if I can ask you a personal question, you made me think about it, the hearing, my hearing. I developed uh, ringing in the ears about six years ago, three years after that. It was in the other year, so I got ringing in the ears. Um, I was around planes for a long time, but I was already out of the military at that point for a number of years. Is there any way I can get that addressed? Absolutely. And this is a perfect case, right? You are a veteran forever. You are entitled to disability compensation. That's the benefit. If you've been injured or hurt in service, it does not matter when you file. So absolutely, you should go and look into that, Greg. All right. Certainly will. Uh, what else should we know? Um, there's a wide range of benefits that many people don't realize. There's, uh, and what's important to understand is it's not just for the veteran, but it's also his or her family. So a lot of people come out and they go, I'm fine. File for benefits for your family. If something happens to you, they can receive uh, you know, uh, a monthly payment. All right, excellent. Um, how did you like working in the swamp? <laughs> Um, it was exactly as you could imagine. It was hard, but by and large, they're good people. I think good people will do the right thing with the right leadership. So I think that is particularly important. And um, I think that we need to think about making things better for veterans all the time, not just okay, not just above average, but really excellent. All right. Dr. Paul R. Lawrence, the name of the book, Veterans Benefits for You, Get What You Deserve, um, available, well, right here at Newsmax. If you go to our Newsmax page, we have all kinds of uh, uh, incentives, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Dr. Lawrence, thank you, sir. Thank you, Greg. And we'll be right back. So, that little kid in Arkansas now has a grandfather, Joe Biden. Joe reluctantly uh, he was kind of forced to acknowledge that grandkid. He did it uh, this afternoon. It's ours. He doesn't have six grandkids. He has seven. Now, remember, New York Times columnist had to basically bully him into doing the right thing. But a lot of you, and I hear from you uh, over social media, the Internet, whatever, uh, the comments page on our website, you don't think you're not comfortable with Joe being involved in this kid's life. And I kind of get that. You know, maybe, maybe it would be better if she was completely cut off from this family. But no, it's not the way it's going to be. Although, who knows? Words are cheap. And they say that they're going to work together to foster a relationship that is in the best interest of their daughter, Hunter and London, the woman. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe being away from the Bidens and uh, no involvement whatsoever. What did they let her do? Pick a painting? Yeah, pick one of Hunter's paintings. That was part of the... Don't forget, they had to bring Hunter into court. They had to sue him to take a DNA test. Anyway, it's his kid. I follow London on Instagram. She's fantastic. I like her a lot. She's been maligned. Uh, uh, no, she's a good person. So anyway, finally, it's amazing the media never even asked him about this. Ever. Ever. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.